0: All right, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. Hey, uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, uh, my name's Cale. I'm the teaching pastor guest. We're so grateful that you're here. LifePoint family, uh, welcome back. It's a joy to get to do live with you week in and week out. Joy to get to sing with you. It's an encouragement just to me personally. I was talking with someone else about that this morning, that just during certain, ce- certain seasons of life, you just need to gather. We always need to gather, but it's so good to gather with others, with others who know Jesus, and just sing our way through those and praise the Lord through. So will you take a moment and just thank the team with me this morning? Thank you guys for the way you lead. Um, A couple of things before we sort of jump in this morning. One, there's a, uh, speaking of worship and just singing our way through those seasons, there's a night of worship coming up across all of our campuses on May 25th. Um, That's going to be hosted on our Lewis Center campus, and uh, we host them there. Really, that's, at this point in time, we've grown to a size. That's the only campus right now that can hold all the folks that come, and so uh, we'll be gathering at our Lewis Center campus and worshiping together as a church family. So we hope you can join us that night, May uh, 25th, for a night of worship there, and then also, I just want to say a word to our guests, if you are here and you're new to LifePoint, we're thrilled that you're here, and we've tried to make uh, a Sunday morning uh, just easy for you to engage. We don't want you to just have a one-time experience, we want you to really connect to the life of the church. And so there are some QR codes in front of you, guests, those QR codes will take you, if you just point your camera app or uh, QR code app at that, it'll take you to a, a website, a little webpage developed, we developed for you called lpguest.com, and at lpguest.com, everything you need sort of for this morning, the message notes that'll be on the screens, um, information about our church, our events, calendar, all that's there at lpguest.com. Uh, LifePoint folks, all that's at the LifePoint Ohio app. So if you're not using the app yet, please go to the app store, uh, search LifePoint Ohio, download that because it's got a bunch of helpful stuff for you There. But also has guests, just a quick guest information card there, if you wouldn't mind taking a moment filling that out. We'd love to be able to connect with you before you leave here today, both in person and online. Um, last week, we kicked off a new series. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to be. Uh, but Luke chapter 1, we uh, we're kicking off this series last week that we're calling Labels, We're going to study our way through the Gospel of Luke uh, for about 16 weeks here. So uh, we're going to be going all through the summer and into the fall. And we highlighted last week that the big idea of the series is that the Gospel calls us to a life above labels. Uh, We live in a culture, in case you didn't know this, that often labels people. You might feel labeled, you might do it to others. Everyone wants to know, what camp are you in? Uh, What are you for? What are you against? It happens as early as elementary school, right? You get uh, labeled and put, well, you're at this table, at the lunch table, right? Middle school, high school. And I said this to our students last week. I said, I hate to tell you, it just kind of continues in different ways as you get older. Uh, And yet what we see in the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus so often goes to these people who have been labeled by society. You're a leper. You're unclean. You're unrighteous. You're a sinner. You're a tax collector, which in their culture meant you work for the man. You work for Rome. You're a traitor. And they were known for being dishonest. And so oftentimes Jesus interacts with people that the, the holy people, right, the ones who have labeled themselves the righteous people, are like, why are you hanging out with them? That's a tax collector. That's a sinner. And Jesus, I love his response, right? He says, I, well, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's not those who are well in need of a doctor, but it's those who are sick. And so he says, these are the people I came for, right? If you think you're so righteous, well, you don't need me in the first place. I came to call these folks. So he, he steps past those labels and says, you come follow me. Come follow me. Put your faith in me wherever you are. That's as true today as it was then. Wherever you are, wherever you're coming from, whatever your background, whatever your family mess, whatever your life mess, like come to Jesus, you turn from sin, you repent of it, you place your faith in Jesus, and Jesus says, you, you come follow me. So we're saying the gospel calls us to a life above labels. The only label that we really should wear, if we can say it this way, is that of Jesus' follower follower of Christ. Now, uh, as we get into the Gospel of Luke, we said this last week, um, before we study through it, we're going to be reading through this as a church all throughout the month of May. So in the second five weeks of the series, we're going to pray through Luke 10-2 together uh, that, man, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's a lot of people who are ready to hear about Jesus, but we need more people who are willing to go into their workplace and into the classrooms and into their neighborhoods and say, man, God, here I am, use me. So we're going to pray through Luke ten two together. In the last few uh, weeks of this series, we're going to really press in on that about, hey, who's your one? Who's one person in your life that you know? They don't know Jesus. And, and Lord, will you use me, right? Keep your eyes open. Is your head on a swivel looking around in your life like, man, that person doesn't know Jesus. God, will you use me? But here during this first five weeks, four or five weeks, we're going to read through the Gospel of Luke together, and you'll be way ahead of the curve because you'll have finished the whole book before we even go through it together. But this is what's going to happen starting tomorrow, all right? We're going to start one chapter a day, six days a week. You can take Sundays off as we gather here. We talked about this last week. Um, There are two ways to approach this, right? Uh, So some of us are like, I need a physical copy. Other people are like, I'm totally cool to do that digitally. So two ways to read, right? You got the NIV journaling Bible, which are on tables right as you leave today. There are bistro tables on the way out, and there's stacks of Bibles right there. And they're they're just the Gospel of Luke. It's a little journal, Gospel of Luke. On one side is the text, and on the other side is uh, space for you to write and to journal there. And those are on the bistro tables on your way out, and you are free to take one. We bought them for you. Now, if you're like, I'm going to take one, and on the way out, I'm going to throw it in my car and never look at it again, then don't take one, right? But if you're like, ah, I don't know that I'll take, I may not finish it, I'm not, I'm not usually great at commitments. Look, you're not promising to finish, you're promising to try. You're promising to try. We bought these for you, okay? So grab one on the way out. They're on those bistro tables right there at the doors, and they're at Guest Central. Grab one if you don't have one, because we're starting tomorrow with chapter one as a church. Now, the uh, digital version, I'm going to throw a QR code here on the screen. If you want to follow along in your Version Bible app, if you don't have the U Version Bible app, it's, I think, the most widely used Bible app in the world, um, you can Put your camera on this QR code right now, and it'll prompt you to download the Uversion Bible app. If you already have the app, it'll take you to, Luke explained, just a plan to go through the Gospel of Luke. There are 24 chapters in Luke. If you do one chapter a day, if we all start tomorrow on May 2nd, and we do one chapter a day, six days a week, and you take Sundays off as we gather here, you will have finished the Gospel of Luke by the end of the month. When we gather here on May 29th, we'll celebrate together and say, hey, you did it. All right, we did it. But here's the goal. The goal is not to say we did it that day and go, great, put your Bibles away and let them collect dust again. What the goal is, is to say you did it. And for some of us, you're going to say that's the first time I've ever read an entire book of the Bible. That's the first time I ever read daily for weeks. And that's the goal, is for you to develop a habit of being in the Word on your own Feeding yourself from the Word of God, engaging His, in His Word, because we really believe when people, when the people of God engage the Word of God, God changes them. That it'll change you, that it'll shape you. And so we want you to get to the end of the month and say, hey, this wasn't rocket science. Like, I can, I can do this. I can keep going. Go into Acts, which is Luke part two. Go into the other Gospels. Go into the New Testament letters. Go into the Old Testament if you feel comfortable to do so. The goal is for you to develop a habit of reading the scriptures on a daily basis on your own. And we're going to try to do that together as a church across all of our campuses. It excites me to think about Lord, what could you do with thousands of people reading your word on a daily basis? together, right? Now, two other things with that, right? Make sure you grab uh, a Bible or um, do the YouVersion Bible app. There are some videos on our blog. So if you go to our LifePoint website and you hit blog, some of our staff members have shot uh, some videos, just a couple of minutes explaining how they approach uh, their sort of devotional time, their Bible reading time. What's fun is just how different uh, some of them approach that. And so hopefully that's helpful to you if you're new to this and you're like, where do I even start? And what do I do? Those videos are there for you to sort of help you say, okay, this is one way you could approach this. The other thing um, I know many of us may not use social media. Many of us do use social media. So for a way for us to sort of interact, not only in person, but online, this hashtag right here, LP Bible, right? Hashtag LP Bible. This is a way as we go through the month of May that we can encourage one another, celebrate what God's doing. We would love to hear from you. So if you read that morning and you're like, this was awesome. Like God spoke to me. I think it's the first time I've ever encountered God in His Word like that, and you're on social media, throw that up on social media. This morning was awesome, right? God taught me this. Take a picture of the journaling Bible, hashtag LP Bible. We'll get to share those things throughout the course of the month as an encouragement to all of us. Make sense? Right? Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, as long as we keep Twitter now that Musk has taken over it, so we're going to keep assessing that as we go. But any social media site that uses those hashtags, right? Hashtag LP Bible, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Make sense? Good? Thumbs up? Nine of us? Great. All right. We're good. (laughs) All right. Luke chapter 1. If you remember the context from last week, and this is really, really important that you zoom out and say, where are we? Where are we in redemptive history? So the doctor, the physician, Luke, who traveled with the apostle Paul, sat down to write this account and I'm going to start with the birth of Christ. It actually starts at the birth of John the Baptist to say, so here's what's going on. 400 years of silence from the Lord. So the people of Israel have not had a prophet in over 400 years. That's actually commented, I mentioned this last week, the time from Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, to the time of Christ is often called the silent period because even the people of Israel recognize, man, God's not speaking to us the way that he once did. We don't have any more prophets saying, hey, thus saith the Lord. He's not speaking. Stuff's happening. But largely, the people of Israel have been under foreign domination for hundreds of years. And they're wondering, like, Lord, where's all the promises? Right? You made all these promises. Where's the promised Messiah? Where's the one who is to come? Where is the one who's going to take away our sin? Where's the one who's going to heal us of our wounds? And where's the one who's going to bring the kingdom And it's been 400 years, longer than we've been a country here, of waiting and waiting, generations of waiting. And then all of a sudden what happens is that uh, this angel comes, angel Gabriel comes to uh, Zechariah, this old priest, And he tells he and his wife, this is what we studied last week in Luke 1, is that he tells Zechariah, you and your wife, Elizabeth, I know you haven't been able to have kids in decades and decades and decades, but you're going to have a child, and he's going to be John the Baptist, right? He's going to be this one who comes before the Lord. He's going to prepare the way for the coming king. And so all of a sudden, God breaks the silence. We're going to sing at the end of our time together uh, today this awesome song. We sang it at Christmas time, actually. Here comes heaven, right? Weary world, Rejoice. Love has broken the silence. God speaks. And if you go on past Luke into the end of Luke 1 and in the beginning of Luke 2, and some of you know that you're like, wait, like that's the Christmas narrative, right? And the angels came and the shepherds and the baby in the manger and you're like, kale. It's May, right? It's May 1. Actually, I'm thrilled because we need to read the Christmas narrative. We need to think about the birth of Christ more than just at Christmas time. Because here, So here's the question I want to pose. Before we read the end of Luke 1 here, Luke 1 26, I want you to ask this question, right? For you personally, your family, is Jesus' birth a nice story for Christmas time? Like, is the birth of Christ a nice story for Christmas time, or is it a life changing reality? Because those are different. Something that you gather around at Christmas time, we read the narrative, and then, like, next Christmas, we'll get the book back out, right? That's different than, hey, a good story for Christmas time is different than something that happened in time, in history, that you're like, this changes everything. The birth of Christ, divinity wrapping itself in humanity, is not something just that we celebrate on December 24th and 25th and in the days leading up, but it's something that changes now. Changes us now, impacts how we live today. Those are good questions for you to ask yourself. Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, who's the guy who just went, the angel who just went to Zechariah to tell him, hey, you're going to have John the Baptist, you're going to have a son, and he's going to point towards this greater son. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin Now, I want to pause there and just ask the question. I was looking at this idea of, like, greetings, Mary. Favored. You're favored. You're blessed, Mary. And Mary's kind of like, I'm not sure what this means. Oh, favored one. So here's, <clears throat> here's the, the thing that caught me. I think sometimes in our culture, if we're not careful, within Christian culture, right, we say things like we're, we're blessed, but oftentimes we attach that if we're honest, I do it, you do it, we all do it, we attach that to material things or to good circumstances, right? Like when things are going really well, it's like, man, we're just blessed. Or when like, I just got a brand new car, I I got, we're blessed. And look, if God entrusts you with a lot, that's awesome. If God entrusts you with a lot, that's great. I will say, be careful. Um, Jesus says a lot about the sneaky way that wealth finds its way into your heart. And instead of saying, hey, Lord, thank you for the gift, but I want to worship you, the giver, our hearts begin to drift towards the gift itself. It's real sneaky how that happens. And Jesus talks about it repeatedly. That man, it's, when you, and, and the reality is, some of us are like, whew, it's a good thing I'm not wealthy. The reality is all of us, right? Like, Globally and historically speaking, so I was just talking to my, uh, my grandmother, right? She's 82 years old, wonderful lady. And she was looking at my family and we were packing up yesterday and trying to get four kids. And she was like, I admire you guys, right? Like packing up four kids in the car. And I said, Grandma, I think every parenting age has its challenges. I think one of ours is just the amount of crap we have. It's the amount of stuff. Digitally, physically, like we, we pack up and it's like, What camping trip are we going on? It's like, we're not. We're going for one day, right? Like there and back in the same day. And I don't know if you feel that, parents, but like, there's just a lot of stuff. Your kids bring home stuff all the time. Stuff, stuff, digital stuff, physical stuff. There's a lot of stuff in our culture because the reality is all of us, historically and globally speaking, are really, really wealthy. And it's easy for that stuff to find its way into our hearts and for us to say, man, I'm blessed because I have this stuff, but that's not really what blessing is about. Okay, the blessing, being blessed and being favored is, I mean, stuff's not bad. But more so, it's about the presence of God and the fact that He has chosen us as His children and given us, He's a plan for your life. Like, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. Because what does the angel say to her? Oh, favored one, the Lord is what? With you. The Lord is with you. And Mary, you're going to have this incredible part to play in the redemptive plan of God. You're going to bear the Son of God. The Son of God's going to come through you into the world. You're favored and blessed. And you look at us and say, well, are we blessed? Are we favored? Is the Lord with us? Yes. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations and I will be what? With you. Come on, with you, right? With you to the very end of the age. And we don't Obviously, like, her role was a one-time thing, right, bearing the Son of God. But for you and me, it's like, look, I just want to remind you, regardless of what you have and regardless of the circumstances of your life right now, if you've trusted Jesus with your life, repentance and faith, if you've repented of your sin and trusted Jesus with your life, the reality is you are His and He is yours. You are favored, you're blessed, you're chosen before the foundation of the world, you're f- the forgiveness of your sin, the slate has been wiped clean, you're his son or his daughter, and you get to walk with him, and he has a plan for your life and a part he wants you to play in redemptive history. And then when you die, you go home to be with him for all eternity, and we sing his praises for all eternity together. Like, you're blessed. It doesn't matter what's going on. I'm not minimizing bad circumstances. But, but if you're like, well, I didn't get the promotion our family doesn't have a lot of margin in the budget. I don't have a lot of influence or power or position. I don't feel overly respected. Things are not good right now, you know, relationally in the family. Like, I, no matter what. But are you blessed? Am I favored? Yes. You are God. You belong to Him. You're His son, His daughter. Just revel in that. Realize it. Remind yourself of it from the Word of God. Luke 1, verse 31 And behold, you will conceive. The angel is still speaking to Mary here. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? She's like, I... I'm not married yet, we're not doing the thing that married couples do. Mary's not stupid, right? She's like, how does that work? And the angel very explicitly tells her, hey, this is a one-time miraculous work of God, something that's never been done before and never will be done again. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God." And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, and let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, I just want to note there as well, if you remember from last week, Zechariah, I love this, right? I love, Zechariah is a priest, probably in his 60s or 70s or 80s. He's been a priest for decades and decades. And when the angel says to him, you're going to have a son, you and Elizabeth are going to have a son, he's like, okay, like, what's the sign going to be? We're really old, Gabriel, right? We're really old. We haven't been able to have a kid. What's the sign going to be? And he kind of shows some doubt and he gets a little bit rebuked. We talked about last week with, with love. He gets rebuked a little bit for his lack of faith. I love it that the teenage girl, he's like, hey, you're going to have a son. And she's like, how does that work? He's like, the Holy Spirit, miraculous. One time you're going to conceive and give birth to the Son of God. And she's like, okay. Yeah, okay. Let it be done to me according to your word. Let it be done to me according to your word. She exhibits this faith. This faith that is wonderful. And I think what Jesus talks about when he says, like, you got to have faith like a child, this childlike faith. There's a a song uh, I've listened to for a little while now. There's a group called Maverick City, uh, pretty popular right now within sort of Christian music. They do a great job. And and there's this song called Man of Your Word. And one of the lyrics, I love it, it says, uh, you're a man of your word, because if you said it, we believe it. That's the line, because if you said it, we believe it, because you're a man of your word. God, when you say something, you never go back on it. You never have to, the song says, you never have to repent of it. You never have to say, oops, I didn't mean that. Because when God says something, he's going to do it. And at the heart of childlike faith isn't, and we addressed this last week a little bit as well, it's not about you putting your reason aside. It's not about you saying, you know, I know I've got a brain, but I need to turn that off and just, I guess, have faith. Faith is not believing that, hey, none of this makes any sense at all, but I guess I'm just going to believe it. No, no, no. It's saying, I believe God is trustworthy, and even when I can't see exactly how it's going to work out, I'm not leaning on my own understanding, but I'm submitting to the Lord. I'm placing my faith in His goodness and in His power and in His authority, and I'm trusting Him without reservation. I've used the analogy before when little kids, you know, you see parents be like, come jump to me. And they like leap off of the third or fourth or fifth step of the, of the stairs. And you're like, I mean, you can hurt yourself, right? But they don't question. They're like, I know mom or dad's going to catch me. He's done it before. She's done it before. She'll do it again. They're not worried. They don't look at it and go like, are you going to move, right? Like, <laughs> are you going to just at the last minute be like, they just jump because there's this total trust in what the parent says. Not always, right? Certainly you could think of other examples. But, but there is this innate childlike faith in them to say, I trust you. And that's what God calls us to. Trust me. When you open up his word and you read it and you see that he says something and you're like, Lord... You know, you say you're going to, we, we quote this a lot, Romans eight twenty eight. you say you work all things to the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Romans eight twenty nine. that we might can be conformed, that he's conforming us to the image of Jesus, the image of his son. You know, there are some times where your circumstances don't feel like that. You're looking at it going, Lord, how could you work good out of this? How could you use this to shape me into the image of Jesus? And you have a, you have a choice in that moment. Am I going to trust my own intellect? I, well, I don't see how it could work. I don't see how God could work. It's like, are you going to trust what God said and say, you know what? Maybe I have reason to doubt my doubts. Maybe I don't see all angles. Maybe I'm not zooming out and looking at the broad scope of history and even eternity and thinking about what could the God of the universe possibly do through this circumstance that legitimately is bad, but maybe he's got bigger purposes that I can't see in this moment, but I'm going to trust him because you said it. I believe it. Childlike faith. And I love, right? God has this way of turning things around and in his economy, it works. Like the decades-old priest is like struggling to believe here. And the the teenage virgin is like, yeah, okay. I believe you, Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Now, with the rest of the time that we have left, I want to walk us through a little bit of an exercise here. Uh, Not only to teach... Who is Jesus? Because that's the question we're going to throw up on the screen here, right? Who is Jesus? So if we ask the question, who is Jesus? I'm going to walk us through a little exercise here and looking at a few verses to hopefully both kind of answer the question in some ways, but also to show us as you're studying Luke, as you open up your Bible over the next month and you're on the YouVersion app, especially if you're new to this and you're like, how do you like study the word and how do you look deeper into it? Look, I'm not saying what I'm about to do is like, that's every time for me. It's not. But I want to give you an example of, hey, how do you sort of tease out of it a little bit and ask a question and see deeper into what God has said? Because this question's great, right? If you go to 10 different people and you say, who is Jesus? You're going to get some varied answers. You're going to get everything from like, well, he's the son of God to, I think he's a great teacher. I think Jesus is a great example. I think he's an important historical figure. But we have to know, like, well, no, but like, who is he really? What do the gospels say? about who he is. So I just want to pull out three verses. I'm going to throw them back on the screen. 31, 32, sorry, four verses. 31, 32, 33, and 35. I'm going to bold some words. I'm going to be some words bolded on purpose here. Look at this. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be called great, or he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David." And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And verse 35 says, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So here's what I would, maybe, this is maybe what you would write down in the journal next to it, right? Or what I might write down in my journal next to it are these words, right? And I couldn't fit all of what I wrote behind them because it would just be a ton of text on the screen and probably be confusing. But let me just walk you through like Jesus. Do you know what the name Jesus means? He saves. Jesus, he saves. And that's, that's not, you don't have to be a biblical scholar. I mean, you could Google that. Like what does the name Jesus mean, right? He saves. Then he says, he's going to be called great. If you notice back in Luke 1, John the Baptist said, hey, he's going to be great before the Lord. You're like, okay, one's going to be great before the Lord, but the other one, there's no qualification there. He's just great. Then you're like, well, are they the same? If you go on, you see John the Baptist saying, I'm not even worthy to untie this man's sandals. He is greater. If you go to the book of Hebrews, much of the book of Hebrews is about how everyone who came before, Moses, Abraham, right? Jesus is greater. He's the greatest. So he's the greatest. Then son of the most high. Most high is another name for God. So Jesus equals now, not just the Savior, but the, the son of God. And then throne of his father David, that the Lord is going to give him the throne of his father David. If you go back in the Old Testament, constantly they're promised. Hey, one is coming. He's going he's gonna to take up the kingship. He's going to be a son of David. He's going to come from the line of David. David was probably the most famous Old Testament king in Israel's history, the one they look back to and said, hey, Lord, when are we going to return to the golden age? And God's like, there's going to be a much better age coming. The king is going to come from the line of David, and he's going to have an eternal throne. He's going to reign. He reigns. We know he's a king. He's going to reign over what? The house of Jacob. Okay, Jacob, Abraham had a son whose name was Isaac, had a son whose name was Jacob. So when you see like house of Jacob, it's talking about all of Israel, All the Jewish people. And eventually, the whole New Testament is saying, hey, that the Gentiles, the people who are not Jewish, have been brought into this drama. God always chose the Jewish people so that he could then bless all people. The gospel is for all people everywhere, every tribe, tongue, and nation. So it's reigning over God's people. The kingdom will have no end. Not only is Jesus a king, not only is he reigning over God's people, but he's a kingdom that will never end. There'll be no end to it. Look, America... I don't know how long it's going to be here. Rome lasted a long time, and then Rome wasn't there. You study history, it's pretty much like, hey, there's always an arc. There's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. And here's what's crazy, right? The kingdom is here, and you and I have been brought into it. John the Baptist comes and tells everyone, get your hearts ready, because the kingdom is coming. Jesus comes and says, the kingdom is at hand, and I want you to be a citizen in that kingdom. I want you to be pulled into this. You talk about life, like purpose. Uh, one of the things we hear most right now from, from some of our youth, right, is like, I don't really, like, what is my purpose? I don't feel like life has a purpose. And it's like, can we open the scriptures and find once again, you've been drawn into, brought into the greatest drama unfolding ever. The greatest story, the story, God's kingdom redemption. You've been brought into it as a citizen of that kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. It's exhilarating. It's exciting. You can wake up each day being like, King, eternal King, what do you want from me? What do you have for me today? It's amazing. In some ways, I think we've lost some of that understanding. Then holy, conceived by the Holy Spirit, sinless, perfect. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago at Easter, right? That he was the perfect man, the God man, perfect in everything that he did. And then as the sinless savior savior he took on our sin that we might get his righteousness. And then son of God in case you missed it the first time, right? The son of the most high, he just flatly says he's going to be holy, he's going to be called the son of God. That's who Jesus is. And you're like, "Where do you get all of that?" From four verses in Luke chapter 1. Isn't that amazing? Like you can pull all of that and say, who's Jesus? He's the holy son of God, reigning over God's people forever. Kingdom will have no end from the line of David, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And you're like, where are you getting all that? From four verses in Luke chapter one. And look, like if you're like, I don't think I could ever do that. It takes time. The more you read scriptures, it's like connecting dots. There's a lot of dots. And at first you're like, I don't know where I'm going, right? But the more you read, the more those dots begin to connect. And the more the Holy Spirit begins to help you see, oh my goodness, it's all one big unified story. It's not just these separate books with some good moral lessons. It's, it's one thread. God redeeming his people, sending his son, the son who gave his life for you and me, who died and rose again. And who one day is coming back. And you begin to read and you see that. Now, let me ask this. I think some of us, you see that and go, that's really cool. I want to be able to do that. But to what end? As we study the Word of God, to what end? Is it just so I can have a bunch of head knowledge? Look at at this. Isn't that cool? No. It's because as you look into the Word of God and as you say, hey, Lord, I want to see what's really true. You study the Word of God and the Word of God begins to shape you. And the way that you think about, the way you think about Jesus, right? What if when you thought about Jesus, it wasn't just, I don't know. I mean, what did my parents tell me? And what did, what does culture tell me? What did I read on the internet? But like you went to, what does the word of God say? What does Jesus say about Jesus? What did his, what did the apostles say about Jesus? The men who spent time with him, the women who spent time with him, what do they say about Jesus? And you begin to think, so let me give you an example of how this works, right? You go about your daily life and you just mess up royally. That thing that you're like, I'm never going to do that again. And then you do that again. And what's tempting is you begin to say, I knew it. I am the worst. And there's no hope for me. I will never change. I will never get out of this. And then what happens is that when you've read the word and you know the truth, it's like you've built up a stockpile of truth. And the Holy Spirit draws from that and brings to your mind, wait a second, what does the name of Jesus mean? It means he saves. I have a savior. I have a king. I have one who died for me and who rose again to wash away my sin. You know what? I don't have to listen to that. You, you go into your life and you're like, man, I, I just feel overwhelmed. Like life is messy and overwhelming and I don't know which way is up. And then you're like, wait a second, wait a second. I have a king who reigns eternally, who reigns over the house of Jacob, which means he reigns over my life. And of his kingdom, there is no end. And I'm a citizen in that kingdom. You know what? Maybe my problems aren't as big as I'm tempted to think they are, and maybe Jesus is big enough to handle those, and I can hand them over to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to give this to you, and I'm going to go sleep, (laughs) because I'm tired, and I'm going to trust that when I wake up in the morning, you're still there, and everything hadn't fallen apart. I'm going to trust that you govern the universe, not me. You see how that begins to shape how you think differently? You start getting into the word of God and you see this is what's true, this is what's true, this is what's true. And, and literally one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he brings to our remembrance everything that Jesus said. And so you get in those moments where the enemy speaks those lies to you and your own heart speaks those lies to you or you don't know which way is up anymore. And you're like, the Holy Spirit says, hey, no, no, here's what's true. Let's ground ourselves again. Let's not freak out in this moment. Let's not get too far off course. Let's come back to what is true. And I don't know about you, but the way my brain works, there are, there are times where I've thought about something and I come to a situation, it becomes so emotional and you're thinking about it so much and you're trying to figure it out that eventually you're like, I don't know which way is up anymore. You ever been there? Where you've thought about it so long and so hard where you're like, I, Lord, to be honest, at this point in time, I'm just confused. <laughs> and I don't know, like, what is it that helps us in that moment gain clarity again? It's the word of God. It's Ephesians 6, right? talks about putting on the armor of God, and and it says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word. And then the way Hebrews chapter 4 puts it, I'm going to throw up Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Look at this. For the Word of God is living and active. What makes it different than any other book? Why not just read a good novel? For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You go to the word and the Holy Spirit uses the word of God in your life and in mine to bring us back to, hey, what's true? I know you feel this way. What's true? I know someone told you that, but what's true? I know you're telling yourself that right now, but what's true? Let's get to the heart of the matter. And as you read the word of God, you gain wisdom. You walk closely with Jesus. You abide in him. And Jesus says, when you abide in me, and through the word is one of the primary ways we do that. You bear much fruit. I'm telling you, I, I, sometimes, <clears throat> I, like, and I get it, right? Um, sometimes people are like, here's my problem. And I'm like, I think we should read the word. How does, the word, how does reading the Bible help me with this? I'm like, look, I, I can't give you just a straight line, but I'm telling you. We had, we had one of our couples here for a college night. Uh, they're in their 70s now, right? Turned about 70. They've been studying the word of God together, just reading it together as a couple for 50 years. And one of the things they said that caught me is, is, you know, still like we're asking questions. What do we do with this? And, and one of them said, stop thinking about it so much and just read the word. I was like, can, can I tweet that? I don't use Twitter, but like, can I tweet? Like, that's really, really good. Like, yes, you, yes, use your brain, but like use it to go into the word and say, God, you know what's true and you know what's happening and you know what I need. I'm going to go to the word and I'm going to study. So all that to say. As you pick up one of those NIV journaling Bibles as you leave today, or as you scan that QR code and you engage in this, can I just implore you, stick with it. Be disciplined. Ask the Lord for help. And look, if it's not magical day one, look, I've, I've heard about it happen, seen it happen. Some people are like, dude, I read it. And man, it was incredible. Like, This is awesome. I've also seen people like, I read it and they're like, I don't even know what I read. <laughs> don't, don't give up day one, okay? Don't give up day two. See it through. And if you need to ask for help, find someone in your life group. Ask your life group leader. Ask one of the staff here. If you don't have a life group, I'm just gonna give you this. Be prepared that we're gonna say, let's get you into a life group, right? We're gonna lean, but please don't, like if you're, if you're not in a life group, well, I shouldn't ask. No, please ask. Ask another believer who's more mature than you that you say, can you just help me? Will you do this with me? They would be delighted to do it with you. We would love to do that. We love helping people engage in the word of God. Stick with it. See it through. Because we believe God changes people as they engage his word. We'll finish with this. If you go on and read, right, you go past Luke 1 and you go into Luke 2 and what you get is the heart of of sort of the Christmas narrative, right? Mary gives birth to a son and there's no place for them in the inn. And so he's born in the manger, right? And then the angels go to the shepherds, right? It's the shepherds who get to hear about this first. And they say, glory to God in the highest. And the shepherds go see the child wrapped in swaddling cloths. And here's here's one of the things that strikes me about the narrative is once again how God delights to just turn things on its head and to do things so differently than we would do it if you were picking a way, right? If you and I were just saying like, all right, pick the way the son of, the son of God comes into the world. <laughs> I would imagine for most of us, it would be like pomp and circumstance, right? Like he's coming, I'm gonna make him an, an emperor, right? Or a king, and it's gonna be awesome. He's gonna be wealthy and powerful and influential. And God's like, <clears throat> yeah, here's how it's gonna happen. Through a teenage girl who doesn't really have any power or influence, culturally or socially speaking. She's engaged to a man who doesn't really have any cultural influence or power. Neither of them are wealthy. Neither of them have position or status. And he's born in a stable, in a feeding trough, in the middle of nowhere. And then the first people who get to hear about it aren't kings or the emperor, right? It's shepherds in a field, everything about it is just so different than the way that you and I would approach it. And it's a reminder that God delights to use the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God delights to humble the prideful and exalt those who are humble. God delights to take the weak things of the world and say, I'm going to use this so that it can be a showcase for my power and majesty. And that baby, the fullness of deity, wrapped in humanity, grows up, lives a perfect life, and then once again in this plot twist where we would think, oh God, why would you? He lives a perfect life and then he goes and he dies a brutal death. The king of the world, before he takes up his throne, takes up his cross. And before he is exalted to the right hand of the father, he's put up on the cross and hung in shame for you and for me he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And so the question i want to leave you with today, right, as we close out. I'm going to ask that same question i asked earlier. Is this a good story for you for christmas time? Or is it a life-changing reality and truth that shapes who you are? Is it a good story that, yeah, we read that at christmas, it was great. Or is it something that It's a life-changing truth where you're saying, man, the God of the universe stepped into human form for me and died on the cross and rose again for me to wash me clean. Is that something that shapes your life because you have a relationship with the one who lived and died and rose again? Let me pray for you. Father, We thank you that you do things so differently than we do. God, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts and your ways higher than our ways. And Lord Jesus, uh, I pray this morning for those of us who know you and love you, that just the reality of who you are, Jesus, the Son of God, holy, (laughs) eternal King, uh, would sit on us in, uh, God, maybe just a new way and a powerful way this morning. God, I pray for those who are here. And if this is you, Uh, who you've never taken a step in a relationship with Jesus, never trusted him by repenting of your sin and putting your faith in him. I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to him right now. Maybe in the last weeks or in the last months, God's been working in your life in such a way that you have just become convinced he's real and he is who he says he is. I think Jesus really is the son of God who died on the cross and rose again that I might be saved. I want to give you an opportunity right now to respond to him in prayer and just to pray to him and say, Father, thank you for sending your son. And Jesus, thank you for dying and rising again from me. And this morning right now, I commit my life to you. I give you my life. I want to follow you. And I receive what you did for me at the cross. Father, will you help us as we study the word this month? Will you unlock it for us? For those of us who have been studying it for 50 years, God, will you teach us something new? And for those, God, I pray especially for those who are starting off brand new tomorrow, that you would give them grace to read and understand and to be shaped by your word. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.